Welcome to Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast, where we are amplifying the Black adoption conversation with Black adoptee voices and Black families at the center. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam and Sandria, two Black adoptees adopted by Black families still trying to make sense of our adoption journeys. We have all been touched by adoption, whether we realize it or not. You just don't hear our stories until now. Every birth has a story. So So let's let's go go black black to the the beginning. beginning. Welcome black everybody. This is Dr. Sam. And I'm Sandria. And we are here for another episode of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast. Tonight we have with us Dr. Pamela Phoenix. Welcome Dr. Phoenix. Hey! <laughs> so good to see you all. Yes. Thank you all for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are ready to get into this conversation with Dr. Phoenix. But first, I want to introduce you to this phenomenal woman. So we must, it's an absolute that we run down all of the accolades, okay? (laughs) So Dr. Phoenix is a United States Army Reserve veteran who served from 1985 to 1993. She earned a doctor of natural health degree from Clayton College of Natural Health in Birmingham, Alabama. She holds a master's of arts degree in human services administration from Spurtis College of Jewish Studies and a bachelor's of science degree in business administration from Kentucky State University. She has, listen you all, over 25 years of natural health experience as a holistic consultant. She's worked within Chicago public and charter schools. Her work includes Reiki mental health therapy, chakra balancing, yoga, social emotional learning and stress reduction. And she has specific interest in emotional health for the whole family. And she's going to be sharing her knowledge, her skills, her abilities here with us this evening, both from a professional and a personal standpoint. So again, welcome, Dr. Phoenix. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you all just ran down all that. (laughs) The people must know who the specialist is this evening. So, uh, but we want to get started with your story because it is unique. It is fascinating and take us back to the beginning. Talk to us about what happened in May of 1981. Well, okay. So in May, 1981, I graduated from high school on May 18th. No, no, sorry, May 22nd, 1981. I actually looked this up because it's been so long. But um, so shortly after that, um, I'm from, I'm, I was born in Chicago, but I lived in Kentucky with my adopted family. And so I came to Chicago to see my grandmother, Mama Charity. And uh, her middle name is, I mean, her first name is Charity. My middle name is Charity. So of course I was one of her favorites. But while here, my mother and I were, well, hold on, let me just take that back. My aunt and I were walking down the street near 51st Street. And, um, you know, people were like yelling, hey, who is that, who is that? Um, 
you know, they were wondering if I was her daughter. And I looked at her, I was like, no, she's my aunt. And then she, she looked at me and said, you know, you're not Jesse and May's child, you're my daughter. Just like that. And I know I'm saying it just very casually, but of course I, there was a lot of nah, double takes and all of that. Um, my, my grandmother lived on 50th and uh, King, you know, she always liked living on, on King Drive. So my, um, I'm sorry, my grandmother did. And so my aunt, you know, they, they knew everybody. So to get that information as we're going in the door and walking up the street, walking up the stairs, I, I was uh, 17. I was in complete denial. I just graduated from high school. Um, I had anticipated going to Kentucky State University because um, I had a full scholarship to play basketball and volleyball. So my mind was, uh, I was devastated. And, and I'm not, I don't want to sit too much in that devastation, but it's like those words came out of my aunt's mouth and it just rolled back out. So I don't know if I believed it at first, if you, you know what I mean. I think I was in shock. Then later my grandmother, Mama Charity, confirmed it and I was still in shock. So I went back that summer because I was, I was in Chicago for the summer to, you know, visit with my grandmother and my aunt at the time that I, you know, Aunt Katie. And so when I went back to Kentucky, the family there, my adopted family was like wondering like why I was acting different because, you know, nobody formally told me it was like an informal, just conversation. We're walking down the street. So I was devastated. But I think for May, June, and then July when I turned 18, and then August when I went off to college, I think I just tucked it away and just didn't, you know, how you, someone just told you some news, but you're like, mm, that's not what happened. And I think, I, I think really I was in disbelief. I remember my first year in college, because we had to be there in August, because we had to train for volleyball and basketball and I remember sometime in August top of September I had a little bit of a breakdown where I called back just to confirm like what I heard um you know the 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 you know how the brain operates it receives information but it doesn't automatically deal with that information right away so yeah that's what happened in in May 1981 up until I'll say end of August, September, 1981. You, you all were barely born, right? <laughs> barely, barely born. You're talking about high barely. school. I was one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Y'all, y'all babies, right? <laughs> but yeah, I was, I, that was my first year of, of, of college. So I think I had a little bit of a breakdown and then my, uh, my aunt, um, my, my, my birth mother, who I knew as my aunt, offered to come up, but I became okay. So, when, so it, it was, it's so complicated because my family in Kentucky was angry. They were angry at the way that she told me and the fact that she told me because I really believed they were really going to let me go through life believing something that was untrue you know, 
Then what you do is you kind of start putting things together. I look like my grandmother. I was in a family um, that was, you know, everybody was dark. And I remember all my life, because I was in Kentucky from the probably the age of six to um, 17, 18. And I remember people saying, well, how do you belong to that family? So, you know, actually I never really felt connected to that family, if you will. But there were not really many things they did to connect me either. It was, it, it, it was rough. It, and that's part of the reason why I talk about, um, I talked about in the latter part of 2020, how people actually survive adoption. And um, you have to survive it because every adoption that people go into is not an easy place to be. You know, I was in a family where everybody, uh, I'm not saying everybody knew, but most of them knew that I was adopted. I was one that didn't know that I was adopted, but I always felt strange and alienated. From the time I was 10, <clears throat> I'm trying to think, I started running away from home, I think around 10 or 11. And, you know, it's a small town where I'm from in Kentucky, right outside of Fort Knox, uh, Radcliffe, Kentucky. But I remember running away, like, I, this can't be it right here, you know? And like, I know a lot of people have connections to their adopted mothers or their father, at least one of them. I, I didn't really feel uh, connected to them at all. I remember my adopted father, who was actually my real uncle, saying he was talking about one time how close we were. And I was like, and I'm in my head like, really? Are we close? I'm a kid thinking that in my head. So even in a family that technically you were related to, so your father who raised you is actually your uncle, but even mm -hmm. in this family, you still felt the disconnect of being separated from your birth parents. Oh, absolutely. My adopted father was my mother's brother. So um, in, in Chicago, when you adopt during that time, so I guess that had to be, uh, well, I was born in 1963. So when you're adopted at that time, the, uh, the records are sealed. So, um, you know, one of the, not, I'm sorry, I know I'm going back and forth, but one of the things my mother said is that she didn't realize that my name was changed also. Because I was born Pamela Charity Johnson. And, um, you know, of course, when they adopted me, my, my birth father was in the military. Um, so, uh, you know, having someone new added to their, the children they already had, which they had, one, two, three, they had four made their military, uh, whatever, uh, whatever monies they were getting made that go up. So in my feeling, in my feeling was like, okay, I know my, my, my adoptive father did this because of my grandmother. My grandmother kind of, she felt that um, my mother was unsafe. That I'll say that because for her, you know, the connection I had with my grandmother you know, is, is a bond that I always have and I always cherish. But for her to give me to them, I know it, it, had, to, it had a lot. There was a lot going on with that. And now I forgot my point. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was your relationship like with your aunt, Katie, prior to that walk? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, aunts are always fun. You know, I had an aunt Amy on my adopted mother's side too, but 
Katie was like everybody's favorite aunt. Seriously, she was just Katie, Katie. We didn't call her Aunt Katie, it's just Katie. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody loved Katie. It was like just high energy. I mean, she was she was a skater, you know, she was uh just you know, just the energy. But also I'm understanding too, very irresponsible on the other, other hand, you know. But between she and I, we had a really good relationship. So she would come down to Kentucky and visit, you know, my um, adopted mother while my adopted father was away overseas to help out with the, all the children. But they never told me, you know what I mean? It was like, I remember sitting on the couch, she said, what if, what if I told you I already had a daughter? Because I was like, Katie, why don't you have children? You know, because we had genuine conversation but they never told me, you know, and I, I, I almost feel like if they would have told me at a younger age, I probably would have, I would have been, I don't know, better. It, it would have been an easier process. It wouldn't have been as much trauma, you know, cause I think sometimes people don't really always understand what trauma is. And when you're in a adopted home, one, one of the things is trauma is also conditional love. If you're, if you're only loved based on a set of conditions or certain things you do, that's also very traumatizing, especially when you can't quote unquote, get it right. You know what I mean? So I think I experienced a lot of that in, in the family and the fact that I wasn't, you know, the same color as them. Colorism was a huge thing because my adopted mother hated my complexion. She would even say things like, you know, you know, just because you this don't mean you better. And I think that was more a part of her complex. She was from Alabama. She was very dark, beautiful skin, but just, you know, how people just have those complexes. So I was the only person that was my complexion, you know, brown, red or whatever. But she would even use the word like just because you shit color. I don't know if I can say that. Can I say that? I just did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but but just because you're that color don't mean that you better than nobody. And I'm like a kid, you know, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know the difference in color. And I would try to do everything. You know how as a child, a lot of times you're, you're that child that tries to appease and do everything right, do everything good. And I can remember once like being like knocked out because she said, I rolled my eyes at her. You know, I'm like 11. I don't even know what rolling eyes means, you know, really, you know. And um, there was one other incident that happened when I was, I want to say I had to be four or five because I want to say the adoption went through around maybe I was three or four because I was almost, I was school age. And we were in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I remember uh, the teachers, you know, calling home and saying, Pam, well, I, you know, of course I went by Pam now. Pam is so quiet. She does never talk and, and all of that. And, and, you know, she would be upset about me being so quiet in kindergarten. And, and I also remember her around her friends always trying to do something like to get me blacker. Like she had this thing. It was a it was a superstitious thing from Alabama. I've never heard of it. And when I tell people about it, they're like, I have never heard of that. But but it was her friends around and um, we were on base in Fort Knox 
and she stuck a bobby pin in my ear and she said uh you can actually flip it up and then your skin will that one layer of your skin will come off and you'll be darker mm. have you ever heard of that never 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 right never. right and so i i remember writing that out when i was going through my rites of passage and uh with Dr. Ben Body Shakur in 1997 and 1998, and just releasing that. Because when you're a child, a lot of things you don't know that this ain't normal. You don't really realize it until later that, um, you know, your people didn't have the emotional capacity to really treat you in a very holistic way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sorry, I know I went all over the place, but it's just so much to talk about, really. No, I mean, you've, you've touched on quite a bit. I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier in the conversation that we hear from a lot of adoptees. It's even, you know, words that I've used myself, but it's like you get this traumatic information and then you tuck it away and you attempt to deal with it at a later point until it gets to a, a place where it's breaking point for you. Do you think that your birth mother was getting to her own breaking point, which is why she opted to go ahead and, and, and tell you? Talk to us about what might have been her breaking point at that moment, because it seems like she might have been on the verge a lot of times, kind of like throwing it out. Yeah. Like, I got another, I have a daughter, right? Like, that's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point because she did tell me that uh, later on that she couldn't get close to any children because of the fact that she had let me go. So I think you're right. She was at her breaking point. She was tired of hiding. She was, uh, it, you know, my mother, uh, as I went back through Sankofa um, doing my own paper, she never felt, I, I don't think she felt seen or heard either. I think, you know, back in her era, um, what is it? Uh, mothers love their sons and then raise their daughters. So I think, and then I, and I think I remember hearing my mother uh, saying that she wished that she was a boy. She used to dress up like a boy so that she would get attention. So you're right. I think she was at a, um, at a breaking point that she needed to say what she said. But I, I definitely don't think that she thought it out because the way that she told me and her constant um, denial about her uh, responsibility. So, so don't get me wrong. I think that uh, my mother releasing me and letting me go was the best thing for me because had I not been uh, uh, adopted or um, let go of, there's no telling what would have happened because as she stated, she couldn't take me to the places that she was going, right? But it was real difficult because after I had my little breakdown, I, would, I didn't have a home to go to in Kentucky because now the family in Kentucky didn't want to have anything to do with me. They were, mad, they were mad at me. I'm a child trying to deal with my emotions. And so I wasn't fully welcome there. Um, so I started you know, traveling from Kentucky State to Chicago, because I always wanted to be around my grandmother. So I remember, like, I wasn't really getting along with my mother, because it's like, 
you don't have that conversation and not continue to dialogue about what's going on. You don't, you don't just one time. And, and I remember writing my mother a letter when I was leaving to go back to school, maybe my junior or sophomore year, and my grandmother tore it up. So my grandmother, uh, she's a Leo like me, you know, but she's a person that um, doesn't like any arguing, nothing, none of that in her house. She's very uh, soft-spoken, um, you know, good reputation in the community, that type of per thing. But what I was explaining explain to her is that you, these are things we have to talk about. You, you just, we don't have to argue about it, but I have to release. And she was like, I don't know what you thinking, but I just know she is your mother. And I was like, no, she's not my mother. You know, that was the dialogue. Cause I'm like, I hear you, but she's not my, she can't just be my mother. You know what I'm saying? Not after 17, 18 years and you've been my aunt. So it was devastating. It, it was, you know, um, I've written about this, but this is the first time I'm talking about it. So this is a little devastating for me too. We just want to give space for that. Um, and I know we haven't really gotten into the work that you've been doing over the last two decades. But I think just hearing this story, because even, you know, and I've known you for, for some years now, and I had no idea that adoption was a part of your story. And so hearing all of this, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, it's infuriating, it's all the emotions. And I think I speak for myself and Samantha, just you know, thanking you again for even being willing to share this piece and being willing to revisit this. I appreciate you all too. I just had a moment, you know, just, you know, you're just really thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, your life and how far you come, you know, cause I'll be 57 this year. No, I'm sorry, I'll be 58. <laughs> I always say I'm 50 fun, you know, so. Um, I'm, I, uh, and so this happened when I was 17. So this is, this is a long time and I have processed this, but I will tell you and I'll tell anyone that this road to healing is, it, it is really a, a journey to healing. And I, I'm a person also in, in my work, I always say that the way you feel at this moment, it always matter, you matter. So when people want to, to act like that particular emotion you're tripping or why are you acting like that why are you feeling like that you don't even you can be dismissive of that and just honor yourself in each and every emotion that you have and and that's part of the reason why i felt so strongly about going through rites of passage myself and also uh, my doctorate i have an emotional health concentration 
because your emotions matter. And, and so many people out here right now are being triggered and then they're reacting. You know, we're triggered and then you're ready, you ready to tell somebody off. You're going tit for tat because somebody done did something, you know, looked at you wrong or you think they thinking something or whatever. It's just like, we're, we're not really balancing our emotions the way that we need to. So I, I just tell anyone out there for as long as it takes. And um, if you have a trusted friend or a counselor, somebody you can talk to, you know, go ahead and just continue to release it. Because like I'm talking about it today, I've written about it a lot. I've taken a lot of people through um, emotional wellness journeys. But to hear myself talk about it today, um, because you know, at, the, at, at this point in my journey, I absolutely will tell you, I love my mother. You know, I love my birth mother and I'm grateful for her. I have her and my grandmother on my altar. My, my mother passed in 2015. And for the whole year, uh, she lived right across the hall from me. I took care, I would do anything for her because I was her only child. So that process of forgiveness, I forgive, forgave my, my mother for everything, my birth mother for everything. Um, and, and, and it's not like she was asking for forgiveness because you know, oftentimes when people do things, they can't see the whole picture of what they're doing. Um, but I'm so glad that um, when, I, when I sought out counseling and my family, my grandmother and my mother said, we're not crazy. Cause you know, that's what you say in the eighties, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the black family say, we don't need no help. You know, that's stereotypical. You, you uh, we not crazy, you crazy, you get help. And you know what? They were right. They were right. But I mean, they were right and I was right. Cause there can be two rights. We did need family counseling if we were going to get this family together again. We never got it. You know, my grandmother's past, my mom's, my, my uh, birth mother's past, my adopted uh, parents have passed and there was no resolve. But most of the issues happened generations before me that I had nothing to do with. You know, and I tried everything I could to try to get the family together, but where they were right is like, you get help. You talk to somebody and I did, I did. I began my journey with an African doctor and her, I just called her Dr. O, used to go to counseling with her and she would listen to my story and she said, start writing your story. So as I began to write my story, um, you know, a good friend of mine, Valerie Smith-Reed had told me about Sankofa in 1997. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go through it. Learn, learn a lot of things about you know, the continent of Africa and, you know, where we come from and blah, blah, blah. But when I went through it, it was like, oh no, this is about you. This is about you. This is about your trauma. This is about what you went through. This is about forgiveness and acceptance and releasing. This is your journey. So it was so powerful to go through the rites of passage and be able to release and talk to my birth mother and about her um, her issues when she was pregnant with me, man, it was powerful. And, and then it, it was so powerful that after 1997, went back to Kentucky 
did another Sankofa and was able to release any hurt feelings from my adopted parents. You know, understanding that they were just, you know, part of a role because my, basically my adopted mother um, really never wanted me. And she was just stuck in a situation because of, you know, uh, my uncle, you know, him being a brother to the uncle. So it's not like they wanted me. So, yeah, I mean, okay, I've recovered y'all, I'm good. Good, oh, good. I <laughs> also wanted to have time for, you know, even though we're on a, a podcast, right? Like being comfortable with silence mm -hmm. and letting time lag and not like always having to like fill the space because at that point it's like, that's when you can get in connection, you know, with your emotions. So I, I thank you for trudging through, you know, when <laughs> it's a, a very intense, you know, moment for you. But you said a few things that, you know, are really resonating as well, just around like the ability to have resolve. And it's like, you can't have resolve without conversations. You can't have one conversation and think that that has answered all the questions, that that has somehow miraculously heal the other person or that you are going to hold tight to this information and you don't need to talk about it again because the adopted person has the issue. And if you can't digest this information as I gave it to you, well, then that's on you, you know? So I think it's crucial for our listeners to understand that from all sides, right? So I don't think it's just the adoptee, but just thinking about your adoptive parents, like if they have ever engaged in the conversation, like I'm sure it's multiple conversations that are wrapped up into why they acted a certain way. For your birth mother, for you, like everybody that's a part of that experience, you can't just have one yeah. conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely complex. You're, you're right. Uh, you're right. It's definitely extremely complex and it's, it's multi-layered because uh, like I said, basically I was dropped off at college and they never visited me. They, I, they never really spoke to me again. I would write them. I would never get a letter. It was really strange. Um, I had finished all my requirements in, 19, in summer 1985, but I ended up going to the military and then coming back to graduate in 1986 from Kentucky State University. And I remember there was no one at my graduation from my family. And I, of course, you know, I sent them invitations, but no one showed up. And it's like, wow, they just, and I realized later, they're not really just mad at me. Um, you have to understand my adoptive father was military. So that's a very controlled ego-based, like you do as I say, you do as I, you know, you do what I say, or, you know, it's not happening any other way, but the way I say it. So, um, but I remember like what was so beautiful about that time, because I had been away from school for almost the whole year. And to go back and graduate, I remember my one of my best friends in college, uh, Felicia, we were on the same basketball team, her whole family, because I had been home to her family a couple of times and met her mother, father, brothers and sisters. And they were all like, you know, they used to call me Pammy because, you know, you're athlete and everybody wants to call you. And, 
different name and they were like, oh, we're here, we're here. And they, I never felt like nobody wasn't there. So like where um, that could have been tragic, you know, for me, it, it really wasn't, you know, because because of my friend Felicia and the whole Brown family was there for me. So that was beautiful. And then I remember later in 1992, when I got my master's at uh, Spurs College, I, between that time, I had explained to my mother how I felt, my birth mother, how I felt like, you know, nobody was there where we, oh, you know, I'm the first one in the family to graduate. Why wasn't anybody there? And so she made up for it um, in 1992 when I got my master's. But in between all of that time, like I was, I was saying earlier, the journey was tough because there was a period of time that I really did not like my mother. I, 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 will all, I, I don't like to use the word hate, but I didn't like her. I was really angry and I was processing all my feelings. And again, what people don't want you to do is be angry. They don't mind if you sad and depressed, Mm-hmm. But they don't want you to be angry, you know, so but I'm, going through my stages. I'm going through my stages, so I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I tried many times to have dialogue with my mother and even going through the rights and all that. But there's still this thing that's between us. And, and, and the thing is, at 17, 18 years old, when you find out you're adopted, um, you just can't switch like that. There's no code switching to your emotions. Your emotions are things you have to process. And so what happens is I, I felt like, I was like, okay, well then I don't know who I am. At 18, I was like, I don't know. I'm gonna spend the next 18 years trying to figure out who I am since now I know I'm related to you all. And did you, did you my people? It's just weird, you know. So actually, you know, at 36, I end up getting married, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is kind of, you know, it's and you know, and it's like almost like when 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 do you really feel like you know yourself, mm-hmm. you know? But I certainly felt like I was disconnected from myself. I felt like, um, you know, I, I definitely felt in that family I wasn't seen nor heard. Um, but I don't know if they really knew how to do that, you know? Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'll share this, in, in 2014, no, 2018, I went back to Kentucky, brought my two sons to see where I grew up. And, um, cause they all, they know my story. They know what I went through and you know, how things ended up. And I remember knocking on the door in Radcliffe and I remember my adopted father looking at me with this just terrible look. My youngest son was so upset. And he was like, what? in his head, he like, why is he looking at you like that? And I said, well, we're in town and you know, I'm trying to be light and everything. And he was like, oh, cause you were in town. It was like, he didn't even want to let us in. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, how? And then, and then uh, May, which is my adopted mother was like, who is that, who is that? You know? And so he let us in. But the interesting thing about my sons, both my sons uh, and my son's fiance, we didn't feel comfortable, so we never sat down. But there, there were still pictures of me when I was in elementary school. You know, now they were like 89, 89 and 90, I think. And 
I mean, I was glad that I took my sons home, but uh, took them to, to Radcliffe because the next year they, they both did pass away like within months of each other. So I, I still feel like I released, I've released uh, any negative feelings that I, that I, that I have for them. Um, I, I really feel at this point, there's things in your, in the, in your family that you're just not gonna be able to do anything about because it's really not up to you, it's up to them to wanna be a part of this healing too. And everybody doesn't wanna be a part of healing because there's no ego in healing either. You know, and so all we can do is kind of plant the seeds and, 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 and keep it moving. I want us to get a little bit deeper for people who might not be familiar with what a rites of passage is or a rites of passage program. Can you talk a little bit more about Sankofa and particularly the Sankofa rites of passage that you've been facilitating uh, for the last 20 plus years and just what what's involved in that, but then what really is kind of the the purpose of doing that type of work. Okay, great, great, thank you. Um, and Sandra, you can speak to this too, because you just went through it. You were not most <laughs> Yes, yes. So let me start with the purpose. So the, the overall purpose is to understand why you came to this earth, what your divine purpose is. And also it's a process for you to go back and to heal your traumas. You know, healing your traumas is huge because when you heal them in different passages of your life, you get that energy in the present. So the, the Sankova process is you go back, to, um, go back to a year before you were born to understand what your purpose is on this earth. So in going back, Sankova means go back, go back to the root, go back and fetch and bring it forward. So when we're going back historically, we're going back to get the good stuff because all the traditions, you know, all the contracts we may have made may not work for us in the present. And there's a lot of examples of that. Say for instance, when you were younger, you were um, a Catholic or you, and you meet somebody who is Rastafarian and you, hey, this works for me. So, so you don't have to be everything that is a part of, you know, your particular family. So when you go back, um, so you may go back to first grade or third grade where a teacher said that you, was, you, wasn't gonna, you was gonna grow up to be a janitor. And I, I actually heard somebody say that to someone uh, a while back, but said negative things about you. So you may be still hurt from those very words where someone said something very nasty or negative to you, whether it was a family or, or actually did something to you. Um, so when you go back, you're releasing that energy. And I'll just use myself. In my case, I had to go back and forgive not only my birth mother, but I also had to forgive my adopted uh, parents as well because of the way that they uh, treated me. Um, while they were trying to treat me like the family, they really weren't treating me like family at all. So when I went back, I, I had to process and humanize my mother and understand what was she going through? What were her hurts and pains? Because um, a lot of people don't believe that 
we actually we actually choose our parents to have particular experiences on this earth. So in going back and um, understanding and humanizing people for where they're they're at in life, you can get a different perspective. One where you're not taking it personal. So that's a book that we read we read in our our course, The Four Agreements. Because if you you're taking everything personal, automatically that's going to put you off balance. So Sankofa also is a is a it's a journey towards your healing where you're accountable to your life. And so when the thing is, is, is a lot of people don't want to be healed because they don't, they don't want to be accountable necessarily, you know? So when you, when you get to the point where you know better, um, you have this self-awareness and this knowledge, then you, there's no real going back to saying, well, I don't, I don't know this. No, you do know it. Now, you know, so what are you going to do with the seeds that, that have been planted within you? So Sankofa, for me, um, I'll say for me personally, it was more important. And I said this in Dr. Van Body Shakir's book, it's more important than any degree that I ever have, have gotten. I have three more important. And, and so if we start off at a young age, like uh, the youngest class I've had is fourth graders. Um, have, and I have sixth graders. I'm, I'm teaching a sixth grade class right now at Woodlawn. So if we, if, if when, we, when I go in a classroom, I ask the question, how many of you all have someone in your life that you'll never forgive? And almost the entire class raises their hand. That's a problem. That's a problem. So they're 11 and 12. So say they get to be 30 and no one's asked them that question before, or they or they have they ever processed their emotions in terms of how they feel or what hurt them. So like when I deal with children, I'm not saying it's easier, but they don't have as much baggage as we do when, we, when we're in our 20s or 30s or 40s and 50s. You know? And I've had people in my class all the way up to mid 70s that have done this course. And of course, when they go through it, they have to go through all seven passages where everybody goes through all seven passages, but they're actually in the seven passages. So they have to go all the way back to really write their story. And everybody, of course, story is different. One of the things that we make sure in the course is that you complete your matrix because what you need in each passage is you need uh, Sometimes people call it the basket, but we call it the matrix. So you need your sources in your matrix, your source of safety, energy, possibility. So you need, you need all of that so that you can carry forward and be new in your current passage. Something that stuck with me. So I, I recently went through the Sankofa Rites of Passage. Uh, we started at the end of 2020 and we finished uh, officially in March of 2021. And you touched on it earlier about the children choosing, choosing their parents, choosing mm -hmm. to come into this life. And I still sit with that, especially as an adoptee. And I think a lot of adoptees might sit with it because we always hear the narrative, yeah. we were chosen, I was chosen. Like that is a common mm -hmm. narrative for adoption. And so when you <laughs> flipped it, you kind of flipped it for me. Um, 
about the children choose and we choose our parents. And as an adoptee, I sit with that like, well, I chose this. So I chose these two sets of parents. I chose to be raised without the knowledge of being adopted. Like, did I really <laughs> choose this path which hasn't always felt the greatest, especially, you know, in these last three years of being a late discovery adoptee, did I chose that? And so I sit with that. So if you can just kind of break that down a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sandria, I struggle with that too. I'm, as a matter of fact, I was like, no way. I was mad in class. I was like, nah, that's, nah, no way. But this is according to the con people, we choose our parents, we choose the day, and, and the day in which we come in has a, has a huge significance over our lives because it's basic characteristics. So I struggle with that too as, as an adoptee. And I'm like, well, why would I choose two people that didn't want a child? Okay. And, and then I also later, I struggle like, okay, my birth mother and I are, you know, when she was my auntie, you know what I'm saying? She was great, but as a mother, like, you know, terrible, you know, um, um, because she didn't know how to mother or nurture. And so, um, and, and plus we're opposites. I'm, I'm on the Leo, I'm, I'm Leo, she's Aquarius. And I don't understand, uh, um, that particular sign. This is what I used to say because, you know, you know, uh, uh, Aquarius are very detached people. But what I learned later is that I actually learned a lot from my, my birth mother uh, in terms of uh, how to deal with people and how you are supposed to be in the middle in terms of being uh, uh, detached and not so attached. And, and, and then later, I, it's like, I discovered, okay, you need to keep the most high in the middle of all your relationships so that you'll be good. If you break up, you're good. You got the most high, they got the most high, it's, it, it's fine. But keeping you know, the most high in the middle of your relationships is, is everything and not becoming detached. So, so with the, the choice, it's about what lessons you, be, you came here to learn. Because I, I struggle with that, well, after the first time I went through the rites of passage, and in talking to one of my, my cousins, I, I, you know, even with relationships, I'm, I'm sure we struggle with different relationships that, we're, that we've been in too. Why did I choose this person to be with? Okay, so why did I choose my mother? I was able to just understand more. Why was I in that family with all those secrets? Why? Okay, so it all boils down to whatever you're in, and you're able to get through, of course it becomes your ministry, right? Because once you get through it, you'll be able to share things that no one else, because there's no one else gonna be exactly like you. So when I'm teaching younger girls and I'm in classrooms and there's three people in the class that's been adopted that's struggling with this process, I can pull them aside and we can have a conversation. Because you know, no one really knows from the way you look that you that you're you're adopted, you know. Um, and it's not a negative. It's it's not a negative thing either. Because even with um, living in Kentucky, there were some skills that I was still able to cultivate that has brought me to this person, this being I I am right now. Um, another thing, a lot of times when people don't have fathers in their lives, 
you know, the mother's just doing everything. It's because they weren't supposed to have that energy in their life. They, they may not have been able to be as creative of a person. I've had plenty of people in the rites of passage say that, that if he was there, um, he would have distorted where I wanted to go creatively. You know, so here's the thing. If a person is not there, they're not supposed to be there. And, and, and when, you, when, you, when you get to them, uh, oftentimes with adoptees, it's either, you know, both sides don't necessarily come together and, and, and are able to just really kind of hash things out. It's either, I know for me, I felt like I was open, my mother wasn't. Um, and I, and, and, and so at some point in our relationship, I told her, I said, I'm not going to chase you. You know, why, why, why should I have to chase you? I'm here. And, and, and she always felt for some reason, um, that I had, um, maybe a grudge against her and I really didn't. It's just that I just didn't like the way she was trying to treat me in such a, um, Oh man, that's that's a whole nother story. That, that that'll be a whole nother show, because because <laughs> uh, my mother built up in herself, a, for some reason, a lot of hatred towards me. As I guess to me, as I became more and more uh, successful in 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 my work and the things I was doing, and, and you know my my personality you know, more so back then, younger was, you know, one that engages people. Hey, let's go do this. You know, and hers, she's a, she's the exact opposite. She's an introvert. So yeah, it's, it, the relationship, um, and, and I think honestly, you all, I stayed around my mother, my birth mother for my grandmother. You know, my grandmother passed in, in 1998. And had not my grandmother been around, because my grandmother and my mother lived together, I don't think that I would have stayed around her, you know, um, as much. I, I had moved away after a year after my first son was born in 1988. I had moved to Memphis and then I came back, you know, because of my grandmother. But I really didn't want to be around my mother. You know what I mean? I, I, I really... Um, it's sort of, it's hard to deal with people who don't want to take full responsibility for things that happen. I'm not saying you have to like suffer because I suffer, but you do have to engage and you do have to listen. Um, Cause I remember her saying, well, man, Jesse, they never did something to you. And I'm like, you, you don't even know, are you asking me? Or are you telling me what they didn't do? You know, because her concern was just that he wasn't, you know, you know, a molester. Uh, but it's so many other things, traumas that happen in that house. Like we can't even get into all the things that, you know, I really felt like I, I grew up with in, in, in that home. Because not only um, did the parents turn against me, the, the siblings did as well. And um, because because I was favored by my grandmother uh, out of all the grandchildren. So that put me in a, a tight, a crazy situation down there too, where they were like stealing things from me that my grandmother would send and, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You have certainly 
blessed us with a lot of information tonight and blessed us with your story. I'm just thinking about some of the, the, the key things that you've said. And when you talked about like that emotional release, and I'm thinking about the fact that the adoptive parents never had that opportunity to have their own emotional release and they stayed angry with you, be, not because of like who you were, but who you represented, right? So whatever their pain was, their trauma was, or, you know, I had to give up this or, or that. And I feel like as adoptees, we get caught up in that. And we began yep. to think that it's us. And it's like adoptees, this don't have nothing to do with mm -hmm. us. All of these choices mm -hmm. prior to us, we did not, you know, go in contract, right? On this, we did not sign any right. <laughs> lines. We were just born, you know, mm -hmm. into this and decisions that were made. So what I'm hearing from you this evening is like, hey, I, I represent something to you. That's why you mad. You're not mad at me. You have to sit with- Exactly. I represent mm. and then deal with your own emotions, you know, behind that. Um, another powerful thing that you talked about too, about healing <laughs> means accountability. So mm. if you're not going to take accountability for your own actions, that's adoptees, that's everybody that's involved in yeah. that experience. Well, then you're going to remain at a certain level you're going to continue mm -hmm. to vibrate lower, but I cannot right. allow you <laughs> to keep me from vibrating high. Okay. Right. So I, it's almost like you have to do this for self. So yeah. adoptees, we have to do it for self. And the last thing that I like that you said was like, we're not chasing nobody. Mm -hmm. We're open. We're here. And if you want to engage, we can but we have to do so in a way that means that we can have continual conversations about mm. my experience, yes. your experience. Like, let's just have a conversation on the pathway to healing. And mm. that's just like bottom line. Like, I, I, I can't chase, but then neither should you. Let's do it right. together. Let's do it together. And, and I'll just say this, un unfortunately, over the years that I've been, working with people, it doesn't always happen that way, but it needs to happen, you know, that way. Everybody has to come to the circle and really, you know, I, I, I always use the word, be naked, just, you know, be open to the, to the healing. Cause that's the only way, cause you know, we, you know, you all are back to the beginning. I'm always like, hey, back to the roots. Because if you keep putting a Band-Aid over this, it's the, the wounds are, are, are just going to continue to happen. And, and I think for many of us who have this issue, these things in our family, what happens is you end up kind of dating that same energy, you know, that you haven't healed, you know what I'm saying? And it shows up in our relationships. Oh. You know, so I know for me, I was like, I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of like, let me, let me, let me go through the rites of passage. Let me, let me heal this roots because the same type of, you know, person is not get good for me is showing up because I still haven't dealt with 
my root issues of my very deep hurt of my past. And when you talk about being tired of hurting, um, when you did this latest cycle of Sankofa, you were actually inspired by a young woman, a Black adoptee. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you this, this current cycle of Sankofa? Yeah, um, I think it was August uh, 2020, I believe, Jazz Waters. Mm -hmm. So I, I read her story, heard her story. You know, she was a writer for This Is Us. Very, like, you would look at her and say, man, she has it all. She looks good. She lives in a beautiful place. And, that, and that's part of the issue is that people are looking at the outside and people are suffering, suffering quiet misery. And so she still had residue of the way that she was raised. And, and from, from the reading, she was, was raised basically in a nursing home with her grandmother, you know? Um, and I, I believe, you know, um, the parents may have been on some sort of substances and they just weren't there, okay? And so uh, I was not planning to do Sankofa at all. I had had my 20th year celebration in 2019 and I was like I'm good y'all I'll be good for a while but you know after each course I get bombarded with emails and people calling me and texting me and saying when are you going to do the next one I was like I don't know because when I do it I don't advertise first I meditate and pray and when the spirit tells me to do it I do it um, because this is not about I'm making it's not a money making thing it's you know it's it's uh it's a spirit-led thing. And so this, I could not get jazz water off my mind. I just could not. And I was devastated. You know, we're in the pandemic, uh, the twin pandemic. We got COVID and we got violence. There's so much going on. And my clientele has, as a mental health worker, has quadruple fold. So I don't even need any more clients. So less known, if I put this out, I'm going to get a list a host of people that are interested. Well, I didn't know that or not, but the spirit said, um, put it out there for those who have been adopted, betrayed, um, fostered. And so there's a number of people that just started calling, hey, I was in the foster system. Hey, I just learned uh, that my father, I'm 39. I just learned my father wasn't my father. Um, that's so deep. You know what I mean? That is devastating someone that you've been thinking all your life and you're in you're almost 40 so I, I said okay let me put it for those who have survived meaning that we're still here because many times a lot of us including myself you feel like man I'm tired of this you know I, I'm I just don't want to go through this emotional hurt anymore. And, you know, you feel like, you know, not necessarily everyone's going to take their life, but many people have felt like this and continue to feel like this. So, um, so the spirit said, you're going to do it. And I'm like, okay, God, how am I going to do it? You know, we can't meet in person, you know, we're social distancing, we're over zoom. So it happened. And I would say, and I was just telling my youngest son um, today, I said, I think that 
2020 was one of my best classes. It was absolutely the largest. So I think it was 25, 24, 25 that made it completely through. We started off with about 35, but 24 people made it, made it completely through the course. And, and Sandria, you can, you can tell the people about the process because it's not, it's not an easy process. It's, it's a process that you have to be ready to experience. And you have to be ready to do your work because, you know, there's, there's going to be homework, right? <laughs> Look, the homework still continues even after the graduation. Um, but I'll say about Jazz's story, it, it definitely hit me hard as well. And Samantha and I talked about it because it was just one of those things. I wasn't familiar with her before the news came out of, of her passing, but yeah. So I heard it and then I started going down the rabbit hole and I'm reading all the articles and mm -hmm. I'm reading all of her previous tweets and she sounded like she could have been me. She could have been Samantha. She was young. She was vibrant. She was yeah. a mover and a shaker, but she had this deep pain. Like it was evident when you go back and you read her words, you read yeah. some of her earlier blog posts and her tweets there was so much pain around her childhood and the situation she was in. And so I just immediately felt this connection to her. And then shortly after that, I saw your email about Sankofa and that it was intentionally for survivors of adoption. And even that language was different to me because I had never thought of myself or any adoptee as a survivor. But when I sat and thought about it, I was like, well, yeah, because even in the three years of me knowing, I, I've survived some shit. Like this yes. is yes. survivors. And so for me, it was just timely with everything that was going on and the work that we're doing with Black to the beginning. But yes, going through a rites of passage and really starting to get a foundation around identity and my roots and having to go back and approach my birth mother about getting that birth story, which for me was a challenge because yes. mm -hmm. I knew even though she's alive and well and in her right mind, she doesn't like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of trepidation for me just going back. I didn't know if she would answer my questions, if we could have a conversation, which we didn't really have a conversation. She let me email some questions and she emailed some responses back. But even just getting that little bit was yeah. helpful. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those processes, you know, I can't fully put it into words, but I would definitely share with anyone who's listening, um, whether it's a program like Dr. Phoenix's or if you just want to go kind of on your own uh, journey of getting, getting to the root of, of who you are, a pivotal piece of the process was writing our story. So going through these seven passages of life from a year before birth, mm -hmm. the seventh passage, which is in your seventies and literally writing mm -hmm. this paper, I just found really, really helpful to think about myself in a full context and really see the trauma of my life <laughs> on yeah. paper and all the things that I did indeed survive 
and then writing myself into the future, almost like some Afrofuturism of, you know, this woman that I, I will yeah. be in my 70s who is whole and complete, yeah. you know, yeah. all of these amazing things. So it was really a beautiful experience. Um, but just knowing that it was even inspired by jazz and the importance of these healing journeys, like we have to do it. If nothing else, if you get nothing else from the conversation, the importance of doing the healing work for ourselves. So even if our birth families or adoptive families, they ain't with it, they ain't trying to talk about it. We have to do the work because we owe it to ourselves to do this work because it is for me, life or death. Yes. Like I, I could be. Yeah. It's, it's life or death. Yeah. And I just want to add this. It's really interesting how, you know, when you're a child, you, you often think that the adults should work this stuff out. You know what I mean? Because I, I thought that for a long time when I was, you know, 17, 18, I'm thinking, well, the adults are, but the adults in my family had all these issues before I was born. Like it, it had nothing to do with me. Like, like my mother had another brother who, uh, and, and I didn't even share this with you all, who I also lived with them for a short period of time as well before I went to her, her younger brother. And, 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 and the reason why um, I ended up being taken from them is because she heard me call my aunt mom because she wasn't ever around. You know, I'm doing like all the other children. And also my mother and um, my aunt, you know, my, her, they got into a fight. And it's like, you, you guys are, they're fighting. And it's like, but you never, after 40 years, 30 years, 40 years, you never resolve any of that. So, you know, coming from these, these broken families, because, you know, I know that, that my story is my story, but there are so many similar stories out there just like ours. And that's why I'm just so proud of you, you two for doing this work. Cause there, there is, there's a gap out here that you all are actually fulfilling you know, in helping people to heal. Because a lot of people, because they weren't seen or heard as a young person, and so you have this low self-esteem, um, don't really know who they, who they really are and won't really talk about it. Everybody is not able to articulate their feelings and they're not able to articulate this as well as, you know, you all are doing and allow other people to do as well. So I know I'm hoping too that in hearing this, that people will really understand that whatever you're feeling, that matters. Every single aspect of what you feel and how you think, you know, because a lot of people I've worked with, like everybody else I talk to think I'm crazy. No, you're not crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're hypersensitive, but it, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with your sensitivity. There's nothing wrong with you having emotions because we learn in this society, we're supposed to suppress or repress our emotions. I have children that constantly tell me, I'm just going to hold it in. I'm not going to deal with it. And I'm like, no, we're going to find a cope, you know, a good coping mechanism that you can release this, you know, this that you're feeling. And, 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 and I guess I'm just saying is that um, we learn this at such a young age. 
And that's why there's a lot of hurt. And to me, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of sickness in the community because um, everybody is tucking away what they really, really feel and not really talking about it. Dr. Phoenix, we could go on. I know. All night long <laughs> with you. We could I go know, on. I know. It, it, it's been a minute, huh? I know the game is getting ready. Come on. Hello. Golden <laughs> <laughs> State in LA. You know, I'm a basketball player. So, right. yeah, like, we got play. skills, Dr. Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are awesome, though. I, I'm, I'm really grateful. I, I can't tell you how grateful I am to spend this time with you all. I feel like we're all healers and some of us who come to this earth with a lot of stuff, you know, the, the parents that we chose going through those paths, you know, uh, we, we are those healers, you know, you know what I mean? Cause we've been through it. We know how it feels. We, we know how to process it. We know we have, you know, God has always been with us. The most high has always been present. That's the beauty of it. And we get through it. We, we, we get through it. You know, but it's a process, you know, it's a process. This is gonna be my last little word because okay. <laughs> <laughs> speak a word, you better speak the last it. little word because you you keep focusing on like the healing and referring to um us or like the work or yourself or others, right, as healers. And it's also important for folks to note that trauma manifests itself in a lot of different ways and mm -hmm. it can come about as being like the the fixer the problem solver the solutions person the mm -hmm. you know all these different mm -hmm. things right but to reframe yes. as healing like you have the ability to heal because of these other like um undercurrent skills mm -hmm. right i think that it's mm -hmm. huge and a different way to show up and i appreciate you using that word multiple times and yes but you know what samantha can, i just want to say this one thing because someone asked me they say they said dr phoenix you can't save everyone mm -hmm. and, I, and i said i don't save anyone they i was at the gym earlier and with 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 the trainer for my son and i'm like i never say anything about saving I, I sit in my place, you know what I mean? And I allow, and, and people are allowed to, um, we plant seeds. As educators, we are the seed planters. So if you want the seeds, if you want to bring them into fruition, that's up to the person. But there is already, you know, for those who believe in, in, in um, who are Christians, there's already a savior. And, and, and that is the problem with a lot of people to me, like, you're you 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 going around saving and rescuing everyone because it because if i was saving it then everybody would be tagged along to dr phoenix what do we do next what do we do next nope you're gonna stand in your own power because the same power i have you have right the same power and, and it's just like the 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 show ayala fix your life i love ayala i've met her a couple times but she will tell you herself, I can't fix nobody's life. <laughs> really, really, you are fixing your own life because you're being accountable to everything that you've learned, everything that you know, and you're sitting with it and you're choosing to move forward. And a lot of times people don't want to move forward in it because it's, it's, it can be painful. 
right? It, 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 it can be, but if you move through it, you'll get through it, right? So, so that's, you know, we could go on and on. And I know we got, we got to have one last word. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... Y'all are funny, boy. <laughs> oh, no, I just want, because you both have, have said it so eloquently, but we come here with different challenges and, and tests that can become our testimonies. And so when I hear your story, Dr. Phoenix, and all the layers of it, and even the parts that are still difficult to express, and I think about Samantha, and I think about myself, and the work that we do. So even before Samantha and I knew that we were adopted, we were already kind of in this healing space. Samantha has a background in, you know, clinical psych and the social work space, yeah. all of that. She was already doing that work. I was already doing work in yoga and writing and helping people tell stories. I was already doing that work. Yes. Yeah. Like, you wonder why these things happen. But it's all a part of, of that plan. Like you said, the most high is always there and we go through it. And it's not even that we're trying to heal other people or save other people. The work that we're doing, we're healing ourselves. And as we do our mm -hmm. work and stand in our power, as you said, other people can be healed by that or receive some light from that, but it's not necessarily that we're, we're saving or we're healing them, but what you're seeing is our healing work and they get the reflection. Yes. I, I just think that's I love that. powerful. I, I love that. I just love the way you said that. that that's, that's so true. We're, I tell people that too. I don't heal you. You heal yourself. You know, because what is that? Know thyself, heal thyself, be, be thyself. So be authentically you. So when people are going back through the process, yes, crying is healing. It's releasing. It's, it's being honest with yourself that this stuff right here, this foolery right here, this shit hurts. Excuse my friend. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is a mess. Okay, you know, sometimes you just got to call it like it is like this, you know what, this, a mess. <laughs> this ain't what we're going to do, you know, I want to say, lastly, there was a time that my, my, my birth mother was really acting out like she was treating me like, I don't know what, and, and my children. So I was like, let me move away from you for a while because I have to honor and love myself. Now I'm gonna stay close because you don't have nobody else. But guess what? I'm not gonna stay in a house with you. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not even gonna be around. So I would send my sons over, like, like I had her in Lake Meadows. I would just, you go visit her, you spend time with her. She don't want me, that's cool. Cause I'm good. You know what I mean? Because it, it, when, when relationships become abusive, that's when it's like, oh no, we, we, this is what we not gonna do. This is what we not gonna do. You can't act like that cause you mad. And, and, and um, you know, my whole thing, I would always be like, you didn't raise anybody. You don't know what it means to be a parent. Like don't come, you know, 
it was a lot, again, that we can't even discuss in this whole, I don't know, we've been on, what, an hour and a half? Lord have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, you, you all are so easy to talk with. And, um, you know, just this is, you're so divine with your approach and, and your, your honesty, your heart is out there and into this. Um, and this is so needed, you know, for be people to just really e express their stories. Because so, my hope too, like yours, is to, you know, really help people right where they're at, you know, right where they're at. Because, you know, there's so many people at different stages, you know, right, right where they're at. At. And um, I'm sorry, Samantha. I didn't really, I, I didn't really fully know your story, but I know, I knew that you had, you know, it was later in life too. Um, so I mean, because I know Sandria has said some things. What, what, what are you? How, how are you? Has some of the story that I've shared has that impacted how you know some of the things that you you went through as well? Are there any similarities? I'm just curious. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say full on similarities, right? Because as you stated earlier, we all have like unique stories. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what is resonating with me the most is what you've stated earlier, which is definitely around just like people getting angry or upset with you. Right, yeah. as the, the individual. And I, I've definitely experienced that all the way around, like with my adoptive parents. So even though, you know, I have great conversations with my mom now, that was not a, an easy thing when she decided to tell me. So it was almost like, well, I told you, you should be happy that I told you, like, here's this information, take that and, you know, do with it, you know, what you will, right? Um, yeah. And, and, and that was a whole crazy thing, right? And it took us some time to, to get past that after she you know, shared that information. Um, I think even with you know, my biological family, I, I think with any family, right? It's difficult again to like understand the perspective of the adopted child because at the end of the day, you're still an external party, no matter if you are blood or not, you're out on the outskirts. And yeah. nobody really wants to admit that, right? So it's like, again, that accountability factor. You don't wanna say, yeah, you're blood, but really I view you as this other person over there. Mm -hmm. You were not a part, you know, of this whole thing. And, you know, again, the responses to you, again, are not you but you do feel like, is it me? I mean, I've definitely gone through in my head like every single encounter that you've had, every single conversation, you're rolling it back, you know, through yeah, your head, yeah. um, you know, trying to figure out what it is that you did, you know, and then finally you have to get to a place of a resolve, especially if you look at other relationships around you, um, for me personally, I feel like the other relationships that are part of my life now are healthy. They are flourishing. So I have to say to myself, like, well, Samantha, stop doubting yourself about what's happening with a whole other group of people, blood or not, when everything else about what is a part of your life right now 
is healthy. It is flourishing. It's like with Sandy and I, it's like we've been friends for years. There's not a single thing that I don't feel comfortable, you know, telling her, you yeah. know, it's just like, you know, and she knows me for who I am and vice versa. And there's no, I don't know. There's this full on acceptance. Look, I almost got on a Zoom call with her and it was on a Sunday and I ain't had no shirt on because I'm still in the bed. I just woke up. I'm like, girl, I almost got on the Zoom without my shirt. She was like, nothing. You are so funny. Literally oh my God. And Sam will accept me. I love it. I love it. I love you all. You all are. Man, you all are a divine blessing. You are. I, I cannot say this enough. You are all. It almost brings me to tears because I'm like, where were you all in 1981 when I needed mm. you? <laughs> you know, so no, but really, I, I just, you all are a divine blessing. Just know that your, your work is so needed is so needed and of course not just here in Chicago all over the world it's just needed because there's so many people like if you look at the statistics for people who are in the foster care or adopted and, and um I've worked in those settings you know where um you know where children find out when they're teenagers or you know they're acting out because they don't know so you I'm just saying you all are a blessing you really are. And, and I don't know, um, I, I, there's so many ways uh, that this show could be utilized, you know, across the world. So I'm, I'm, I'm finished. I'm not going to say nothing else because <laughs> we're going to be on, it's going to be 830 and the game, well, the game don't come on until I think eight o'clock. So we good. Thank you. Look, we, we say thank you to that. Mm -hmm. and we receive that. that as well so yeah. for our listeners who have also been listening for an hour and some change <laughs> we thank you <laughs> we appreciate you and hope that you appreciate the dr phoenix edition because this is what this has been this evening and as always thank you for going black to the beginning Thank you for listening to another episode of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast with Dr. Sam and Sandria. If you want more Black to the Beginning, follow at Black to the Beginning and hashtag Black and Adopted on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you would like to share your Black adoption experience, check out our Instagram at Black to the Beginning and click the link in our bio. Remember, the Black adoption conversation is the Black family conversation. These discussions can be difficult, but necessary for generational healing. Let's keep the conversation going for the culture.